I'm so glad you are here today, and I appreciate your prayers. I am uh, improving. I was able to work half days each day, and then by about one o'clock, I was ready for a nap. So I'm getting there. I appreciate your prayers for all those who uh, are going through some struggles right now. It is good to see Tommy and Georgina back in the house this morning. Yeah. So they are they are still on their uh, recovery road. Uh, so I. I'm with you in that. I understand. You know, I remember the, um, the day that my appetite began to return after not having any for a long time, after Heather saying, here, just eat this half banana. And oh. But I remember it was at night. <clears throat> we had watched something on TV or, I don't know, Netflix or something, and a commercial came on for some spoon-sized mini shredded wheat cereal. And I don't know why, but that all of a sudden looked amazing. <laughs> I could not wait to get up the next morning because we had some. And I ate that bowl of mini shredded wheat. It was the best thing in a long time. Not because they are so great in and of themselves, although they're good. It was because my appetite had returned and I hadn't had any for a long time. And when it did, it was great. And then uh, I think the next day, Heather said something about some Thai food. And I said, that sounds good too. But it normally doesn't to me. But all of a sudden it did. And we had some and it was the best thing I'd ever had. So uh, it's funny how appetite is connected to our health. When things are not going right, appetite leaves the building. But when your body is healthy, one of the ways you know it is you have a healthy appetite. And you want to eat, but if, you're, if your body is really healthy, you'll want to eat what's right. I don't mean just shoving down Twinkies and Snickers, you know, because you're hungry. I'm talking about you start eating right. You eat healthy and you have a, a healthy appetite. It's how God has designed the body. And so when appetite disappears, it's an indicator that something's not right. You need to stop and pay attention to what's going on because if you're healthy, you have a healthy appetite. And everything that God has designed in the physical is a picture of the reality of the spiritual. So, when you were born again, you became a new person. You are no longer who you were. This new person has new drives and appetites. So when you are spiritually healthy, you will have an appetite for spiritual things. It's just an indicator that there's life, spiritual life in you. You have a desire to hear from God. You have a desire to pray to God. You have a desire to spend time with him, to worship him, to be with others, to learn, to grow, to change, to be discipled. Those are all healthy indicators that your spiritual life is healthy. And in the same way God has designed our physical body, if you have a lack of desire for spiritual appetite, if you don't have a desire for hearing from God, meeting with God, worshiping God, growing in Christ, 
If you don't have an appetite for that, something's not right. And it would be important to stop and evaluate and say, God, what's going on? Is there something in me? Is there something that needs to be addressed? Is there something that needs to be changed? Because the clearest indicator of health is a healthy appetite. Now, God wants that for you. He wants you to long for him, long for his word, grow in him. He is constantly calling you away from where you are, calling you to places that are deeper than you've been. This is what he is constantly doing. He doesn't do it randomly. He doesn't do it on a whim. It is God's constant call into the life of the believer. Come away from where you are. Come with me. I have so much more to show you. Come on. And God begins to arrange desire inside, appetite, spiritual appetite, and he begins to arrange events in our life to help us with that. You know what appetite is? It's the recognition of need. I have something I need. Here in about another hour or so, we're all probably gonna be at a place of need. We're gonna want something to eat. I will, I already know. I feel it coming. Need is what God wants you to experience in your spiritual life. And so he'll create in you a desire for him, for his word, for truth, But watch this. He will also arrange your circumstances uniquely for you so that you get into a place of need. Because he wants you to grow. He wants you to be changed. And he's not as much looking to change your behaviors. He wants that But the thing he's after most is the very core of who you are, your heart. The New Testament sometimes uses the word spirit or soul. This is what God is after. Not in a way to hurt you, not in a way to torture you, but to draw you to himself so that in your spirit, You experience God in ways you never have. That means leaving where you've been, leaving what's uncomfortable, and acknowledging that you have need. Mm. God is looking to transform your heart. Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who were called according to his purpose, listen, 
For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. When God arranges the events of your life, he's seeking your heart because the thing he wants to transform in you most is your heart. He wants to take your heart so that it is transformed and conformed to beat like the heart of Jesus. Can you imagine us once sinners by nature, he redeems, he rescues, and then he says, now I'm going to do something that you're going to find hard to believe. I'm going to begin a process in your life of changing your heart so that it desires the same thing as Jesus. It longs for the same things as Jesus. It relates to the Father in the same way that Jesus does. It begins to love and show mercy and forgive. It has vision. It has hope. It has confidence. It has boldness because it's being transformed and conformed to be just like Jesus. That's what he's doing in every one of our hearts. That's what he is about with the events of your life. He is arranging the events uniquely in every one of our lives to create the need so that we'll call out to him and our heart will be changed. Now, today we're going to look at a story from scripture that <clears throat> illustrates all of this. We're going to see the story of a woman who is going to be at a bad place in her life. She knows God, but her heart is going to be in a bad spot. And God is going to uniquely arrange the events of her life to create need so that she'll call out to him and then she's going to be beautifully transformed in her heart. And that is a picture of what he is doing in all of our lives. The message today is called Deeper Transformation of the Heart. This is the deeper place that God is calling you and I. So in this wisdom of God, in this power of God, he is arranging our lives. And he knows just what I need to get me to the place where my heart will respond to him. He knows just what Nick needs. He knows what Bobby needs. He knows what Phil needs. And he arranges those events. And that's why I shouldn't ever look at someone else's life and say, well, how come they don't have to go through what I'm going through? That's because you have a sovereign father in heaven who knows exactly what you need for your heart to be transformed. That's why I shouldn't ever look at someone else's life and be jealous, angry, or bitter at what they're getting to experience. And I have to avoid in my own life being overly anxious, afraid, worrying, doubting, because he is at work in me. Amen? All right, we're just getting started today. This is going to be good. So... Um, why don't you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. This is where we're going to uh, camp out today. And we're going to see this woman who uh, God's going to work in her life. 
And she's going to arrive at a place where she'll have a couple of options. They're the same options we have. The setting is the time in the Old Testament when the tabernacle is the place that the people of God went to offer sacrifices. It's a place where their sin was atoned for. It's where the high priest and the priest all carried out the work of the ministry. And it was, it was called for the people of God to travel to the tabernacle three times a year to offer sacrifices and to worship their God. Now, we're going to meet some characters today. They're going to have some names that are different than what we use today here in Texas. So uh, I'm sure you understand that if you're a student of Scripture. We begin verse 1. It says, now there was a certain man, and let me just say this, for the sake of all that you're reading in your Bible right now uh, and all the funny names that are there, I've condensed it to this. All right, There was a certain man, and his name was Elkanah. There's a whole lot more there, but for the sake of our story today, I'm simplifying it. Elkanah. We're going to find out a lot more <clears throat> about him. But for the sake of the story, let's move on, verse 2, so we can find out about him. And he had two wives. Now, right away, we already have some questions. I understand we're going to deal with that here in just a moment. The name of one was Hannah, and the other, and the name of the other, Peninnah. So, right away, we've got a little bit of a problem. Here's a man in scripture who is a man of faith and he's got two wives. He's not a real smart man, but he has two wives. Never in scripture is it ever permitted, allowed, suggested, or sanctioned that a man have more than one wife. Never. From the beginning, it has always been, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and they are intended to be together for life. Somewhere along the way, it began to be culturally cool to have more than one wife. So what we're experiencing here in Scripture is a group of people, three, who thought being culturally cool was more important than being biblically correct. So we already know that whatever happens next in this story is problematic. <laughs> yeah. Three people, two of them vying for the affection of one man, as just, just fraught with trouble. And the story will bear that out. Anytime you think that being cool with what the culture says is more important than being square with what Scripture says, you're going to run into some struggles. We're called to follow what God says regardless of what's cool out there or what seems cool in here. Okay? It's not up to our feelings, our impressions, what we think we can work out. It's what God has said that we are called to follow as his people, regardless. So we continue on with the story in verse, in the second part of verse two. It said, Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. To not have children at this time in the story of scripture 
was a cause for great concern, often sadness and depression on the part of the, the woman, because to have children was to have the blessing from God upon your life, was to provide extra workers out in the field, was to provide greater prosperity for the family, a greater way for the parents to be cared for in their older age, and it was a way of carrying out God's call to raise up your family in his truth, to teach, to make disciples. It was the home that was called to do that first. And here you not only have two women who are vying for the affection of one man, but now you have two women who are at very different places in their life because one has children and the other does not. Hannah struggled with this as the story will unfold for us. Hannah was really discouraged that she had not had any children. Hannah lived in comparison with Peninnah who had children. And every moment was another reminder that she didn't and she did. Every moment was a moment of comparison for her. For her, every moment was a look of how come she got to have children, but I didn't? What is wrong? How come this is happening? Why her? Why me? Why is this happening? This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem fair. And Hannah is going to struggle. She's going to be jealous. She's going to be bitter. And she's going to question even God. From this point forward in the story, our focus will be on Hannah. The scripture turns and we begin to see this whole event through Hannah's eyes and Hannah's life. But I'm sure already you could begin to identify with Hannah. Perhaps you've had some situations in your life where what happened for you is not what you thought it was going to be. You didn't get the promotion. The sale of the house didn't work out. The family situation, it's not what you dreamed. The marriage is not what you thought. And you've looked with eyes of comparison. And you've struggled with anger, resentment, and bitterness. I understand those things. All of our lives are different. God has a purpose. And when we allow the resentment and the jealousy and the anger and the bitterness to creep in, it takes our heart in a place that's not where God wanted it to go. We continue the story in verse 3. It says, this man, Elkanah, went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. How many times did the children of Israel go to the tabernacle? Remember what I said? Three. How many times does he go? One. He's that Easter only guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he goes then. One, one time a year. I don't know what's going on in his heart that keeps him from going any other time, but he goes one time a year. That's his deal. Maybe he's the guy that wants a little bit of faith in his life, but not too much. Maybe he's the guy that wants to keep up an appearance, but not really living it out. Maybe one of his wives is this one saying, you know we need to go down there to that tabernacle. I don't know what it is, but they only go once. 
Verse 4 says, And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, when it came time for him to make an offering, he would give portion to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. Now we're going to learn a little bit more. He's the guy that won't really accept spiritual responsibility. Here, hon, you go do all that stuff. You're the woman. You do the spiritual stuff. Mm. So he gives portions to Peninnah and her sons and daughters. We don't know how many kids she has, but we know it's at least four from the story. Verse 5. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Now, this is going to get real awkward, introspective, and important for us. It's good that he loved Hannah He must have had some compassion for her because he gave her a double portion to go and offer. Perhaps he understood the pain of her heart, the struggle that she dealt with, the comparison, and he feels sorry for her. That part I'm not as concerned with as much as the last part of this verse. The Lord had closed her womb. She was not able to have children, although she had tried. She was not able to have children, although she had prayed. She's not able to have children, although she desperately longed for it. And this verse says, it was not someone else that caused it. It was not her who caused it. The Lord had closed her womb. Now that becomes a bit of a wrestling match in our hearts, doesn't it? God, you, you caused this? Though she had prayed, though she had longed for it, you were the one who stopped her from having children? You closed her womb? And the answer is, yes. Now that's difficult for us to process. And that's partly because we don't know all things. I can't know what all is happening inside the heart and mind of God. I don't know all of his wisdom and ways. I don't know the heart of every person. And that's why things happen in life today and we don't understand why. Why does a 28-year-old die? Why do do families break apart? Why do people lose their job? Why are these struggles happening? I can't always know the answer. But I can know that if I am a child of God, I have a father who knows all things and orchestrates all things 
and even the situations in my life I don't understand, I can trust that he does and he has a purpose. God had a purpose for what this verse describes. Let's continue, and I think we're going to be able to see some of why. Let me say, though, that because of the Lord closing her womb, it created in her great need. Do you hear me? It created longing within her. It created desire within her, an ache. God was at work doing something in her life. Verse six. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. It's bad enough knowing she couldn't have a child, but here she is with her counterpart, her rival, the scripture says, the other wife in the family, and she makes it her goal to provoke Hannah, to antagonize her, to insult her, to take digs at her, to be sarcastic with her. Now, it's one thing to deal with some of that on social media. It's one thing to deal with some of that at work. It's one thing to deal with that one person in your life that you see occasionally that loves to do that to you. It's quite another to live with that in your home. And she is. She's in a rough situation. She's being antagonized, intentionally provoked by Penanaw in their home, every moment, every meal, every interaction, every time they passed, every time they saw one another, she's making it her goal to antagonize her. Verse seven, so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Every year, this went on for a long time and now it's all acquainted and attached with going to worship. When they went to the tabernacle, when they went to have their sins atoned for, when they went to bring praise to God, that was the time apparently that Penanon thought, I'm really going to make things bad for her now. Can you imagine? Every time you wanted to go to church, you had a complete negative association because you knew what it was like to be on the way there and while you were there and while you were home. This is what Hannah's having to deal, what, deal with, and it is painful. Painful what's happening in her life. So painful, verse 7 at the end says, Therefore she wept and did not eat. She lost her appetite because something was wrong. Verse 8, we get this clue that Elkanah is really kind of a strange dude. <laughs> then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? 
Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? This dude. (laughs) Apparently he'd never even watched Dr. Phil, much less listen to any scripture about how a husband relates to his wife. And he makes the mortal mistake here of thinking he is all that and that she should find her great delight in him. Husbands, come on now, surely. If you've never considered the danger that this is right here, please see it today. Your goal is to love your wife and lay down your life for your wife. Do not ever think that you are the treasure that should solve all of her problems and that she should never have a struggle in her life because she has you. Come on now. Don't do that. This guy, as the story unfolds, you begin to realize, Elkanah, dude, I feel sorry for you. You, you, You're clueless about how to relate to your wife. Two, you didn't stop the conflict going on inside your own family. You should have. Be a spiritual leader. Step up, Elkanah. You shouldn't allow wife one to talk to wife two that way. Fix this. Three, what are you doing giving double portion to one, creating discontent and problem there in that whole relationship? And you won't even be the spiritual leader when you get to the tabernacle. You give the sacrifices to them instead of you stepping up and being the lead and being the example. Come on, dude. There's problems in this home. That's what happens when you listen to the world instead of the word. Verse 8. Oh, we did that. Verse 9. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. And now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. Without going into a long story, Hannah here has to deal with another spiritually inept man. If you read the story about Eli, you find that He wasn't all that brilliant either when it came to knowing the Lord and accepting responsibility of being a spiritually led man. So she goes by the tabernacle of the Lord and Eli is there and in verse 10 it says, and she was in bitterness of soul. In her heart, she was in a bad spot. She was angry. She was bitter Heaviness had taken over. She looked at other people and saw them as her enemies. She looked at other people's lives and she was jealous. She looked at her own life and was depressed. And she looked at God and was angry. And when your heart gets to that place, it's a very small place. It's a very dark place. And this is where she is. She's in bitterness of the soul. Everything hurts. Everything is confusing. Everybody has it better than you. And all you've got is resentment and bitterness. Now, this is, a, this is an important moment for Hannah because she's recognizing where she is 
and she has a choice. In this moment, do I turn and pour out my complaint to the Lord and throw my heart at him? Or do I just stay in this spot and just continue to seek revenge? Continue to try to hurt others and just wallow in my bowl of pain. Here's what the scripture says that Hannah did next. She prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Hannah's heart was being moved. And she cried out to the Lord. She said, God, this bitterness, it's killing me. God, this anger, I, I just can't take it anymore. God, the jealousy is eating me alive. Blaming everybody else for what's happening is not working. Living in distrust of everybody in my life, it's not helping. My heart has become so dark. My heart has become so small. God, help me. She chose the right direction. This is what God calls us to do in our pain, is to come before him and just Pour it all out. Because remember, God is after the heart. Here in this moment, she pours it all out. Verse 11, it says, Then she made a vow to the Lord and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head, which was a Nazarite vow. Here in this moment, Hannah's heart has been completely laid out before the Lord. She says, I can't deal with it anymore. I'm tired of all the anger. I'm tired of all the bitterness. God, my heart is yours. And God, I would make this one appeal, this one request. If you would give me a child, he'll be yours. He'll be yours completely. I'll see that he's raised up in your ways. I'll see that he follows you. His heart and my heart will be yours, God. It was her way of saying, I'm not just praying some Easter service prayer. I am serious, God. My heart is fully yours. Nothing held back. I'm all in. That's what it takes if you want to go to the deeper places God has for you. But if you choose to stay in your bitterness, if you choose to stay in life as it is, if you choose to stay in your complaining, if you choose to stay in your resentment, if you choose to stay in your jealousy, if you choose to stay where you are and what you're doing, the same old path, the same old routine, not any closer to God, not any more knowledge of his ways, not seeking his heart, you will experience greater pain in your life. Because God was looking to free her heart. Verse 12. And it happened 
as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now, Eli's a priest. He works in the tabernacle, responsible for offering sacrifices, meeting with the people, helping them know the Lord, and he's watching her pray. And he's very careful. He can't hear, but he can see. And he's watching her mouth. It says now in verse 13, now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. Why would the man of God who worked in the tabernacle have that as his first conclusion? Oh, she must be drunk. That's because he had a problem with drinking in his own family as well. If you read the scripture, it was his go-to here for what he thought was going on in her life. She's praying in anguish. And this part of the story almost reads like a little bit of comedic relief. Like, let's just lighten the mood a little bit here, but no, I want to I want to show you something else that I think is happening. You see, Hannah had had her personality altered by her pain and her resentment and her bitterness and her anger and her jealousy. She became a very reclusive, withdrawn, quiet woman with little expression of joy and peace and love in her life. And Eli had seen her for years. Every time they came, he saw her and he watched her change over time. He watched her become more withdrawn, more angry. He watched the expressions on her face be filled with more pain, more resentment. And so when he looks over and he sees all of a sudden that she is expressing emotion, she is crying out to God, I get the picture maybe from what's happening here that She's in this whole body like, you know, she's probably kneeling down and she's lifting her arms and she's crying out to Eli. It looks so radical to what he's seen. The only thing he knows to conclude is that she must be drunk. But what's happening is God is reaching her heart. God had arranged some circumstances that create need in her life. And she finally gets to the place where she breaks and she cries out to God. And she becomes who Hannah was supposed to have been all along. This woman who sought the Lord. This woman who praised God. This woman who prayed to God. And she's becoming who she was. And Eli doesn't know what to make of it. But that's what happened when your heart breaks. You become who you were intended to be by God. And it's happening for her. She doesn't care anymore about what people think. She doesn't care anymore about her pain because she's brought it to God. And now that he has it, it's about to do something in her. Verse 14. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put away your wine from you. Verse 15, but Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. I've quit keeping it in. I quit bottling it up. I've quit just being so angry and bitter. I've come and I've 
poured my soul out to God. All the pain, all the rejection, all the doubts, all the fear, all the comparison, she poured it out to God. Verse 16, do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Eli, you've known me as a complaining, bitter, angry woman until now. Eli, you've seen me withdrawn. You've seen me sad. You've seen me depressed until now. Eli, you've heard me. You knew me. But that all changes now because I have brought my heart to the Lord. Verse 17, then Eli answered and said, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. Verse 18, and she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate and her face was no longer sad. She poured herself out to the Lord and she was no longer sad. Her face was not pulled downward. Her heart was no longer filled with anger and rage. Everything about her was changed. She saw God differently. She saw people differently. She saw her life differently. And watch this. Nothing in her circumstances had changed. She still didn't have a child. God arranges circumstances only to reach our heart, and that's the most important thing. Sometimes you and I want our circumstances relieved without our heart being changed. God, make this thing go away. God, fix all these financial woes. God, fix this thing in my family. God, fix this thing in my marriage. God, fix this thing in my job. Take it away. Make it go away, Lord. Make it go away. God says, I'm, this is about a whole lot more than your job, your car, your money, your house, your marriage. This is about your heart. And here he changed the heart of Hannah without changing her circumstances immediately. God is far more wise than you and I. He has purposes beyond our understanding. We're not going to read the rest of chapter one. I'm going to condense it for you. Hannah goes back home with Elkanah and Peninnah. And Hannah becomes pregnant. And she has a boy. And she commits to raise him in God's ways. And she does. And her heart was changed. Not because she had a baby, but because she came to the Lord and poured her soul out. At the beginning of chapter 2, I want to read two verses and we'll be finished. We get a real glimpse at her heart. We get to see just how changed she was. 1 Samuel 2, verse 1. It says that Hannah prayed. And I would say to you, this is about 18 months after 
the boy is born, whose name, by the way, is Samuel, who will become the one who will anoint another young boy to be a king named David. And God will use Samuel in a mighty way in their nation. Here is Hannah's heart. She prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn or strength is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. I get the feeling that things changed in the home from that point forward. That Hannah could walk past Peninnah and smile. Not a fake painted on smile, but a one of real joy. Because Hannah knew God was in control. God was working in her heart. And what was happening in Peninnah's life? That's between Peninnah and God. And you just see all the beauty here. Her heart's filled with joy. She has this confidence and strength about her. And she knows it all comes from the Lord himself. And in verse 2, it says, No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. None is there any rock like our God. Wow. Hannah's heart completely changed. And all happened because she got to the point where she said, God, I can't do this. I pour myself out to you. And God changed her that day. You know, God does arrange circumstances in our life to help reach our heart. He will arrange unique circumstances in your life to draw your heart to places with need that you have never experienced before. Now, I get it that nobody wants to have to walk through those things. You don't want to have to walk through a job loss. You don't have to walk through family tension. You don't have to walk through COVID. But God uses what he will because he knows you. He knows me. He knows exactly what I need to create need in me to say, God, I need you. It's what's happening in our world today. It's what's happening in our nation today. Just when we thought 2020 was as whack as it could get, we get into 2021. Look, I'm convinced. I don't have to be convinced. I know God is on the throne. He raises up who he will and puts down who he will and arranges the events that are happening in our world today by his design. So you name the struggle going on today. It has not caught God unaware. He knows. In fact, I believe he is arranging it. He is orchestrating it so that on a very large scale in our nation and in our world, we will come to a place of need. God, we're broken. God, the nation is broken. God, our world is broken. We need you. He is the creator of need. Don't be angry when it comes to you. Don't be resentful when it happens to you. 
Don't be jealous of others who are not having what is happening to you. Instead, come to Him. Pour out your soul. See Him as the one who is the one who can give you hope and give you life. Let Him change your heart. It's what He's after. And if on the other side of it, there's blessing in the circumstances, awesome. If on the other side of it, the circumstances don't change, I have the Lord. So the invitation is ours today. With where you are today, with the tension, the conflict, the loss, the pain, the struggle, whatever it might be, what's going to be your response? Lord, only you, only you can bring peace to my soul. I will pour out my heart to you because that is what you're after anyway. Or will you go on in your stubbornness, resentment, anger, bitterness, and refusal? I pray the first would be your response. Here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to pray. Then I'd ask you to stand after I've prayed. And then we're going to open this altar right here for anyone who would like to come pray because we can't walk through a message like this without some kind of response that says, God, I need you. So if you want to come pray alone, you come. No one's going to bother you. You just pour out your heart to the Lord. You want to bring your spouse with you, friend with you, whatever it might be, you do that. Caleb's going to play, and we're all going to pour our hearts out to the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we are in awe of your, your greatness today. Your ways are so much higher than ours. We get caught up in the trivial and the mundane and what's happening in front of our eyes, and we... We miss what you're doing. Your goal is to conform our hearts to that of our Lord Jesus. And you know exactly what it takes in our life to bring us to that place. So this morning, I, I pray that we will acknowledge our need. We'll let our appetite be heard in heaven. We'll cry out there. You will do your deepest work. You'll change our heart. We trust you this morning, God, to do that work in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you'd like to come pray, this altar is open. This is your time.